Thank you, Garrett. Uh-huh. Oh, please be seated. Blessed to be with you. You know, I was thinking during the prayer time, uh, and I have thought of this at other times, but about 18 hours ago, it became Sunday at the International Dateline. And people started to get up and to worship God and to praise him. And then that just, that just keeps going on this whole day. We've got six or eight more hours of people just looking to God and praising him. And uh, that must really bless the Father as the world turns. Well, I want you to consider, before I get started this morning, I want you to consider for a moment why you first came to Christ. What was it in your life that made God and his son attractive to you? For most people, there was a need in their life that they perceived. They might have had a question or a hunger to know God. I remember myself. Uh, I was a teenager. In 1969, I started doing drugs because that was how we get to know ourselves and how we can connect with the world. That was going to fill the emptiness. That was going to do what we couldn't have done before. Uh, In 1970, I was first witness to. And somebody told me about Christ, and you know what I said? No thanks. I'm still looking. You know, I I think I've got a bead on things here with drugs. 1971 came around, and I didn't have that bead anymore. And I was witness to again, and this time I said yes. And you know, for most people, they're going to have a story. There was a reason that they chose to look to Christ. And this is why, you know, when, when there are children that are raised in the Word and that are still in the Word as adults, they're still with Christ as adults, I will often ask them, when did this start to become your thing? Because many times, our children, they'll come to fellowship because we bring them to fellowship, and they'll have a good time. But my children didn't come to Christ the way I did. Basically, as an adult, at least I thought it was adult at 17, uh, seeing an emptiness. They were brought to Christ as a child, but you know what? For both of them, they had to decide at one point why they would come to Christ. Because if they don't make that decision, then they'll, they'll fall away. And all of us have a story. And you wouldn't still be around if that initial need that you had was not met in at least some fashion. I'm going somewhere with this analogy. What I want to put before you in this year to grow as a disciple, which is what we're looking at as our theme this year, is there is more than you imagine. You might have come to Christ for a particular reason. You might have seen a need or heard a sickness in your life or your family. You came to Christ. There's more. Don't stop pushing in to see what God's got for you. There's a verse in Ephesians, and it's probably familiar to many of you, and it's usually cited or used in reference to prayer, and it's great for prayer. But I want to expand it a bit and look at this verse as to how it applies to your life and to the more that God has for you. And it's Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. There is more than you could even think or imagine 
waiting for you with God. So don't settle. I'm blessed that you got whatever need you had when you came to Christ met. I'm blessed for you. But there's so much more. And we're going to build this year on what it means to be a disciple and how we can grow as a disciple. You see, you become a Christian at a moment in time. And once you become a Christian, you're a Christian for the rest of your life. Being a disciple is a little different. Being a disciple is a process. It's a growth. You can be more of a disciple tomorrow than you are today. You can see more of God in your life tomorrow than you do today. And this morning, I want to help you to get in training as a disciple. And I use that word very particularly because it is used in the scriptures in this way. To grow as a disciple, which is probably something that I don't have to sell you on that idea. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'd like to grow as a disciple. I want to be closer to God. That's not a hard sell. Um, But becoming a disciple or growing as a disciple is a lot like training physically. It's a lot like getting in shape. Now, you talk to people, everybody wants to be in shape. I had a good friend once who said he was in shape. Round is a shape. And uh, that's not exactly what we're talking about. But everybody would like to be in shape, but not everybody does. Not everybody understands how to get there. They have desires, but they don't have a means to get there. The Christian walk is similar in many respects. And just as in physical training, people can get discouraged. They can get discouraged as they try to grow in Christ if they don't know how to go about it. So God shows us how to go about it. He shows us how to train. And our example in being a disciple is Jesus Christ. Remember, a disciple is an apprentice. So who are we apprenticed to? Jesus Christ. So we're going to follow in his footsteps. We want to be just like Christ. That's the goal of any disciple, to be like their master. And Christ went to the cross so that we could live a life that was blessed and abundant. And Jesus has already done everything necessary for you to receive that in its fullness. Bob has not received it in its fullness just yet. I'm still growing. But that's all right. Jesus Christ outlines a way to grow. And, you know, many Christians, by their own admission, would say, okay, I see the promise, more abundant life. I'm not really seeing much of that. I understand that. And I have experienced that. I've lived there. And a lot of it, as I look back, is because I was hit or miss in the more abundant life because I was hit or miss when it came to growing as a disciple. I just really didn't understand what it was all about. And we're going to kind of get a picture of that over the course of this year. And last week, we looked at the big picture of being a disciple. And there are really three categories here that we want to achieve in our lives, sort of like the high, the high end here. A disciple of Jesus Christ loves God. He loves people, and he serves the world. All three of these things are what Jesus Christ did, because he's our example. He is what we're looking at. And he set the example for us, which is good. You can set the example. Michael Jordan can set the example for me of how to play basketball, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be able to play like Michael Jordan. However, when it comes to being a Christian, not only does Jesus give you the example, he has empowered you through the spirit that's been poured into your heart to be able to do it. 
We can all live like Jesus Christ. And Jesus, I think I gave you the example. When it comes to being a disciple, you have the brochure and the blueprint, okay? Jesus is the brochure. Okay, brochure is a picture. Here's where we want to go. Loves God, loves people, serves the world. How do I get there? For that, you need the blueprint. If all you have is the brochure of what you want the house to look like, but no blueprint and plans on how to build it, you'll never get to that house. So we can not only have the blueprint in Jesus Christ, or the brochure in Jesus Christ, we have a blueprint. And I am an apprentice of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to live like him. I want to think like him. I want to love like him. And I realize that there's a big difference between the way I currently think, love, and live, and the way Jesus Christ thought, loved, and lived. But we can close that gap. Becoming a disciple is closing that gap, which you can do because you have Christ within you. Let's take a look at John 8.31. This is a classic verse on being a disciple. Again, this is the big picture here. What is the big picture of being a disciple? So Jesus said to the Jews who believed him... If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now, since he said if, that means it's possible to hear Jesus speak and not listen to him. But he said, if you abide, and that word means to remain, to live. If you set up camp, you put down roots, then you will be a disciple of Christ. He says almost the same thing in Matthew 28. Jesus was great. He would teach the same truth several different ways so that it would connect to different people. In Matthew 28, just before he ascends into heaven, he says it a little differently. He says, go therefore and make disciples. This is what the church does. It makes disciples of all nations. That's why I'm so blessed we prayed for so many nations today. We prayed for the world. And how do you make disciples? Well, first off, they have to become Christian. That is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or a better way, perhaps, that that was originally stated was in my name. That's how you make Christians. It's step one of being a disciple. You have to be a Christian. Next, it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe. In John, he said, abide in my words. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, there's some comfort. Baptizing makes you a Christian, observing the words of Christ, abiding in his words is how you grow to become a disciple or an apprentice. And Christ is with you always. So you have him with you, helping you with this. He didn't just wind you up and send you on your way. He says, I'm with you. We have a world-class coach living inside us. And I want to help you go into training as a disciple. And the Bible, the New Testament at least, uses many athletic analogies to describe the walk with God. And when you look at them, and everybody in the ancient world would understand what Paul was talking about, you understand that you can go into training to be a disciple. And that's how you need to look at it. It doesn't happen on accident. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It ha- like any training, it happens when you make a decision and you put into effect the principles for whatever you want to train to be, an athlete, an accountant, a rocket scientist. Take a look at 1 Timothy 4.7. It says, train yourself to be godly. We train ourselves to do lots of things. Train yourself to be godly. Now, the word train here, uh, 
is the word gomnazo, which we get the word gymnasium from. So this is the very word that God is using to be, train yourselves to be godly. Now, I, I'm going to take you behind this word gymnazo, and you'll be glad we don't use it this way. Gymnazo meant to compete naked. So I'm really glad that that's not what happens at Edward Health and Fitness Center when I go there on Sundays. <laughs> that, that would just not be helpful to my training at all. But look what God says. Train yourself to be godly. And everybody, you would hear that, go to the gym to be godly. Go to God's gym. Let's look at the next verse. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits to this life and to the life to come. Nobody reaches weight and strength goals by accident. And nobody just stumbles into being a disciple. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Again, Paul using athletic examples for the Christian walk. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable the victors were, they didn't get medals in the ancient world. Okay, we give them medals. They got a laurel wreath that they got to wear around their head. And since it was a plant, if you have this wreath, what does it look like a week later? It's withered. Everybody would understand this analogy. But the wreath, the crown, the award you receive from God for training in godliness, that is imperishable. Look at verse 26. So I do not run aimlessly. Paul was not haphazard in his walk. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul was serious about his walk with God. And when I'm honest, I wasn't always serious about it. I was just kind of strolling along. I want to be serious about this because I want to be like Jesus Christ. Everybody wants to live like Christ. They, they look at John 14, 12. The works that I do shall you do also. And greater works than these shall you do because I go unto the Father. We love that verse. We want to live that verse. But you know what? Jesus lived that verse because of the way he thought. Because of the way he conducted his life. Because of the way he trained himself to walk with God. We looked at that last week, that Jesus Christ actually grew in wisdom and understanding. He grew. So can I. Look at Titus chapter 2. It says, for the grace of God has appeared. That's nice. The grace of God has appeared. Prior to the grace of God appearing, you know what was hanging around? The law. I like grace better. Bringing salvation for all people. Verse 12 training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. What is training us? The grace of God. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The grace of God trains us to live a holy life. I've seen people where they talk, Christians talk, well, you know, it's the age of grace, sin doesn't matter. If you think that the meaning of grace... If your understanding of grace is that sin doesn't matter, you don't understand grace. What grace is about is enabling you, empowering you to live like God, to live like Christ. We'll see more of that a little later. In fact, we'll see it next. Hebrews chapter 12. 
Another verse on training. It is for discipline that you have to endure. And the word discipline there, it really means training. Discipline is a good way to translate it, but we use the word discipline differently today. To us, discipline is only when my parents catch me doing something wrong and I get whacked. That, that was discipline. That's not what this word means, okay? It means to train. That's what it's talking about. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline or train? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Verse 10, For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. That's what I did as a parent. I mean, I'm not perfect, but, you know, the best I could figure out, that's how I trained my children. But he, referring to God, disciplines us for our good. Why? That we may share his holiness. This is what I'm in training for, to share in God's holiness, to enjoy his holiness. Holiness, by the way, is not boring. Holiness is a blast. Holiness is the way God designed us to live life. Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline or all training seems painful rather than pleasant. I can remember when I was on a swim team and the coach put us all in different lanes Right? And there's like three guys in each lane. And what you did was, he'd do this for like half an hour. You'd swim, you'd just walk back, and then you had two guys in front of you, and you just kept swimming. I can remember, I felt like I was going to drown halfway through this. But it didn't blow the whistle. He was training us. It did seem painful <laughs> rather than pleasant. But you know what? It really trained us. We were able to swim long distance much better than other teams because he made us swim like four times as long as any race would have been. For the moment, it seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Doesn't that give you a picture of of after a workout? (laughs) After you've been training, I I felt like that. Very clear training language throughout the New Testament. And many of you have experienced physical training. And physical training, I remember my high school track coach, I ran high hurdles. You want to know why I ran high hurdles? Well, because the coach told me I was running high hurdles. But I did that because, believe it or not, I was the tallest kid in ninth grade. In September of ninth grade. I was this tall. <laughs> I've been this tall since seventh grade. They tried to recruit me for football. You know, my father had the sense to know, knowing my family's genetic background, no, you're not playing football. You can go run track. But that, I was on high hurdles. He taught us how many steps before you take the jump. And he would teach us how to do this. God does the exact same thing. He, makes you, he teaches, he lets you practice, he corrects you if you make a mistake. And... You know, any good training program is going to have two components, physical training, diet changes, and exercise, okay? So we're going to do that with training to be a disciple. What's our diet? When I talk about diet, I'm talking about your inputs. 
That's what you're talking about with a physical diet, right? Your input. Well, we're going to talk about that for our training as a disciple. Look at Psalm 101.3. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Think about your inputs. What do you set before your eyes? Jesus Christ says in Mark 4.24, consider carefully what you hear or pay attention to what you hear. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. You have to be careful what you hear because that's what you're going to live in your life. Watch your inputs. Now, what are our inputs today? Well, these might include your screen time, how much time you spend watching the news, listening to gossip. We put God's word in our minds, and then we decide to go about our day-to-day lives. We change our inputs. Many of you know Sophia, not Eli, Pavia now. When I started working with her as a dietitian, she went about changing my inputs. She looked, at, you know, she looked at what I've been eating. She got a lot of bread here, Bob. A lot of bread in this diet. Yeah? So? Bread of life? Jesus is the bread of life? Come on. I had to watch my inputs. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what's right. My grandson lives on milk. He doesn't know much of anything. Incredibly cute, but it's no much. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. How are you going to know the difference between right and wrong? Flip a coin? No, by training, understanding God's will, God's inputs. And the primary way that God trains us is through his word. Take a look at 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable, beneficial. What is the word of God beneficial for? Teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. You might not have noticed all the times training is used in the New Testament. It's all over the place. So when I had a coach, he would teach me what I needed to do. Okay, I needed to know the fundamentals of how to run hurdles because it's different than just running a race. He taught me. Then he made me do it and reproved me when I was doing it wrong, would bring me over and say, no, this many steps before you you lift your leg up. And then he would send me, he would correct me and send me out to do it again. This is what the scriptures do for you. They show you what life is like. They correct you when you're wrong. They send you back out to live it. And why, did, why is this? Look at verse 17. God sends his word to do these three things for us, to train us in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God wants you equipped. He wants you fully outfitted to live as Christ, to live as a disciple. He's not giving you an impossible goal. He's giving you a goal that he empowers you with. So now I want to apply the idea of training to joy. Because if we're going to look at what a disciple is, and we're going to do a lot of that this year, one of the characteristics of a disciple is that they have joy in their lives. Now you might not think of committed Christians that that's what they have, is a lot of joy in their lives. You may have encountered Christians who are burdened down. You may have encountered Christians 
who look more somber than an undertaker. That is not the way it's supposed to be. Look at Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. So God is saying, if that's how you are, you might have been burdened before you came to Christ. You're not supposed to be burdened afterwards. Okay? It's, there's the difference. And that I have seen, and the media portrays sincere Christians as joyless, no fun in their lives, serious, somber. That is just not the picture of Jesus Christ. And when I think of joy, if I want to think about joy in my life, I have an easy place to go. I think of my grandchildren. I love seeing my grandchildren. And there's a simple reason. Just being in their presence brings me joy. And I think you can probably all think of a place or a time in your life, something that really brings you joy. Now, when I think about being with my grandchildren, I also think, okay, well, I don't have that same joy everywhere I go. And that was a problem to me because of a verse in Psalms. Well, there's several verses why this would be a problem. But we'll look at Psalm 1611. It says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Well, where is God? Like, he's everywhere. Am I ever out of his presence? No, I'm not. But I've been out of joy a lot. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. I can't always be with my grandchildren. I can always be in God's presence. Presence, And that means joy is a way that you can live every aspect of your life. It is a benefit, a blessing, a characteristic of being a disciple. But how do I get there? How can I be trained to live in joy? Sometimes we have the misconception that joy is just something that's spontaneous. It just shows up at a time from circumstances. No, that's not what joy is. Joy the way God speaks of it, is not about something that goes on around you. It's about something that goes on within you. It is not dependent upon your circumstances, which will not always be favorable. That's not a newsflash. Look at John chapter 15. Now remember, we are an apprentice. Jesus is the example. And here's what he said. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. This is interesting again. Does God, God so loves the world, right? But the fact that God so loves the world doesn't mean that you are always abiding in that love. Doesn't mean you are always aware of it, appreciating it in your life. Verse 11, these things I have spoken unto you, that my joy may be in you. My joy, Jesus' joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Well, let me tell you something. If you've got Jesus Christ's joy in you, that's full. That's fullness of joy. Now, again, do you think, when you think of Jesus, do you think of him as being full of joy? Again, many people view Jesus as being very somber, very serious, and that's the picture that they have in their mind. I want to, I'm going to show you two pictures. This is probably the most popular picture of Jesus from the 20th century. It's not a bad picture. I don't know if they got his nose right, but this is a, you know, he's not sad there anyway, but he's, you know, fairly serious. That we show, his eyes are always looking up. That's not the picture I like in my mind of Jesus. Here's a picture like, that I like of Jesus. 
smiling with the kids. We have a picture in our nursery that's similar to this. Jesus with the children, just smiling, enjoying his life, experiencing life with joy. Now, did he have a serious mission? Well, yeah, I mean, redeeming mankind, serious stuff. But does that mean that he had to look like he was burdened all the time? No, because when you're carrying out God's will for your life, you're not burdened. The burdens that you bear, he bears with you. Christ had joy in the face of what I think we will all admit were very difficult circumstances. Everywhere he taught, everywhere he went, there were the beard strokers there to criticize him, right? Joy is not dependent upon your circumstances. It's dependent upon your relationship with God. Take a look at Hebrews 12, 2. It says, looking to Jesus. Again, what do apprentices do? They look to their master. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, Remember we read Psalm 1611? At his right hand, it pleasures evermore. Where's Jesus? God's right hand. You think he's happy? You think he's enjoying his eternal life? You think he's joyful? Of course he is. Jesus did not find joy in the cross, okay? That would, you'd be insane to find joy in being crucified. That's not where he found joy. He found joy looking past the cross to the promises of God. So I, don't, I have not faced circumstances as dire as Jesus Christ faced. I do face circumstances that are unpleasant. I can do what Christ did. I can look past them to a promise of God's comfort, healing, and deliverance. Jesus Christ was convinced that every promise God made would come to pass in his life. And we can be just like Christ. We can find joy in the promises of God. There's a verse, in, a couple of verses in Philippians that, I, that I've always been intrigued by. Because the Apostle Paul found joy and rejoicing even when people were lying about Christ. Let's take a look at this in John 1, or Philippians 1.15. It is true... That some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. In verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. There was a famous quote by P.T. Barnum. He was getting a lot of bad press. They asked him what he thought of all the bad press. He said, I don't care what they say about me as long as they spell the name right. (laughs) He stole that from Paul. Because Paul said, whether good motives or bad motives, as long as the name of Christ is out there, somebody's got a chance to hear it. But you might say, okay, Bob, training in joy, and I do know lots of promises of God, but I still don't have all that much joy in my life. I'm still not experiencing that. In that case... The joy you should be experiencing has been sabotaged. And we want to learn how to get past that. Remember the training analogy. You want to watch your inputs. Watch your inputs. You may know and even believe many promises of God's word, but if you are polluting your mind and therefore your heart and therefore your soul with negatives, the negatives are going to chip away at the joy. 
And I cannot warn you enough or emphasize enough the need for you to watch what you put before your eyes and to pay attention to what you hear. Don't let screens steal your joy. Don't get fat on negatives. It's like, you know, I don't understand why I'm not losing weight. I, you know, well, what do you eat? Ten Twinkies a day. Okay, well, that's not such a mystery anymore. One of the things that really winds people up today is watching the news, reading about the news. How much do you really need to know about the news? For me, I just want to check to make sure we're not at war with anybody today. But people look at this, and you've got to understand, these sites, social media sites, news sites, they are designed to get you to keep watching. And how do they keep you watching? They wind you up. Decide that you're not going to let anybody wind you up. Decide you're not going to let that happen. If you need to know the news, that's fine. I, don't know. I mean, I look at news. That's okay. But when you see something that's negative and you can't look at the news without seeing that, pray instead. Instead of getting wound up about injustices, pray. It'll change your perspective on things. If you find yourself getting worked up, it's no surprise. That's what it's designed to do, for you, do to you. So just, you control your inputs. Don't take the bait. Don't allow your mind to roam like a dog. Look at 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, We demolish arguments and every lofty opinion and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You are not strapped into a chair forced to watch a movie of your life. You are the director. At least you should be, not the spectator. You can control your thinking. You don't follow your emotions. You don't follow your feelings. Well, what feels right? You don't follow your heart. God doesn't say follow your heart. Hollywood says that. We all know how much they know about life and marriage, right? You don't follow your heart. You guide your heart. And you know the difference between a guide and a follower? The guide knows where he's going. The follower doesn't. Look at Philippians chapter 4. This is from the New Living Translation. And I love that. This is what we should think about. Do you want joy in your life? you want to train yourself to joy? Change your inputs. Change what you think about. Change how you view your circumstances. It says in verse 8, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If you start thinking like that, that is training, training your thoughts, you are going to start to experience more joy. These thoughts here in Philippians 4, they are far from worthless. Set these things before your eyes. Now, when you talk about the concept of discipleship and training, the concepts, most people find them easy to understand. It is the implementation and the practice that they find difficult. Just like nobody or few people misunderstand what their dietician is saying about their diet. They understand the instructions. They have a difficult time putting them into uh, practice. Well, welcome to the gym. 
Welcome to the gym where you have Jesus Christ as your example, God as your coach, and the power of the Holy Spirit in you to help you see what God has promised in his word. I'm going to close in one verse in Jeremiah. Did I put this one in? I didn't. Carolyn's going like this. It happens. I'll read it to you. Jeremiah 15, 16. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. So this week, let's train ourselves in joy as opposed to anxiety and nervousness. So why don't you stand up? I'd like to pray together. Heavenly Father, we stand before you, your children, your sons, your daughters, your beloved ones. And God, I ask you that for each of us, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in life, that we can look to you. I ask you, God, to train us in righteousness, to train us in your ways, to help us grow into being the disciple that you've called us to be. And I pray these things, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Garrett? Thanks, Bob. You guys can uh, actually keep standing up. Um, man, I'm pretty stirred on that one. Thank you, Bob. How do you guys feel about that? Yeah? There's some good truth in there. Um, yeah, as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, some of us, we're in different physical um, positions, and when we hear physical training, some of us think that like to get back into the gym, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so far from that, you know? And we're all in different positions. Personally, I feel like I'm, I'm in one of the seasons where I'm out of shape, and I'm, I got to get back in there, but it's like, man, I really have to fight that momentum to get back in there. But I want to tell you this, that uh, in spiritual training, it, it's, it's so much easier than having to fight and work to get back physically in shape, spiritually in shape. The moment that you stop and you say, okay, dad, I need your help. I want to get there. I want to start operating more like Christ. I want to put off some of the things that don't matter. And I want to live more focused and think more focused with you. I I need your help. He's right there. That's really all it takes. It takes that humble heart to stop and say and repent in some cases, which is turning from the previous ways of thinking or actions that you had been taking to say, "I I want that now. And it's so much easier. See, some of us, we all have different genetics, a whole different genetic makeup. With him and with Christ, I can tell you, we all share the same genetics. And they're very, very, very good genetics. Okay, very good genetics. In fact, we were actually, this whole race is, is it's, it's, it's kind of fixed for you and I to win it. Okay? I mean, if you think about it, it's a contest that, you're talking about training, that you and I, we were fixed to win this thing in Christ. We've all been given the great same genetics, and that is of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, the new things have come. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, We have not been given a spirit of fear or timidity, but we have been given a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Those are three, three things that both you and I possess in the Holy Spirit that are meant to take us to where we need to be physically, spiritually, where we need to be spiritually with Christ. So in the moments that it feels tough, and, and you, may, you may 
feel so far from spiritually fit with the Lord. I want to tell you right now that you've got the genetic makeup, you're made for this, and you've got the three things with the Holy Spirit that need to get you there. Power, love, and self-control. Power, love, and self-control. You have those things. You've already been given it. You don't have to go fight for them. You don't have to go earn them. You've been given it. Power, love, and self-control. Power, love, and self-control. Power, love, and self-control in the Holy Spirit. What I want you to do is turn to the person next to you. We're going to pray over that person for a week that they can grow in the power and the love and the self-control that they have in the Holy Spirit this week. So use your own words. Don't use my words. I want you to bless the person that you're next to. Speak life over them. Ask for God's blessing upon them. So go ahead, start it right now as, as, as I'm talking. We want to speak life and blessing over them this week, that there is a sharpening in the spirit, that we are stronger spiritually this week than we were last, that there's a recognition of what we have, power, love, and self-control in the Holy Spirit. If you're still praying, keep going. But if not, um, we'll see you next week. Love you guys. God bless you.